Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to call in, our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. We will be taking phone calls all throughout the show today. Again, that number is 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, so before we get going and get into the Ag PhD mailbag, which I'd like to do here in just a minute, I just want to remind you we do have a tiling clinic coming up on Monday and a corn agronomy workshop on Tuesday. So if you can join us, that would be great. These are free events we put on each year to say thanks to you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching us on Ag PhD TV. Just go to agphd.com to learn more about any of our events that are coming up. Again, tiling on Monday, corn agronomy workshop on Tuesday. So during our radio show, by the way, on Monday and Tuesday, we will not be taking live calls because we will be taking questions from our live audience right after the Tiling Clinic Monday and right after the Corn Agronomy Workshop on Tuesday. Okay, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, first question comes from George in Bulgaria, wondering about Dual 2 Magnum, and we're talking about Metallochlor. Here's the active ingredient. Uh, or s metallochlor, I should say. Uh, he said, first of all, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. He goes, uh, pre-plant dose, I'm putting out 1.67 pints and putting it out 20 days ahead of planting. Uh, my CEC is 25 to 30. My organic matter is 2.5 to 3%. I see the max label rate is 2 pints, and I'm having some weeds pop through later in the season, foxtails mostly. Observing my soil structure and stats there, should I be increasing my rate to that two pints? Do you think that would be worth it? Also, if I apply the soil herbicide 30 days before planting and then refresh my soil strips at three to four inches deep, three to five days before planting, I'm also afraid if I put my herbicide out early, that herbicide could get down into my seed zone and cause problems or potentially compromise germination or even just not be very good for weed control. So what's your rate of dual 2 magnum you'd recommend, and how would you combine it knowing that I'm going to refresh my strips in the spring? All right, well, one of the most basic things with agronomy is you have to have great weed control. You can't have stuff coming in a little later. Otherwise, number one, this year's yield is hurt, and number two, you have more weed seed for the future, making future yields worse as well, or increasing your herbicide costs in the future. So either way, you got to do mo- do a better job with weed control. And that's something we say even on our own farm. We're trying to improve weed control, it seems like, all the time. But anyway, would I bump from 1.67 pints up to 2 pints? Well, based on cost, I, I mean, assuming, that I, what I'm trying to say is, assuming that the cost is okay, you know, it's not very much money, then absolutely I'm doing it. So I don't know what kind of prices you're getting charged over there, but over here to make that change from 1.67 pints to 2 pints. Off the top of my head, I'm going to say it's going to cost 3 or $4 an acre. Is it worth 3 or $4 an acre for me to have better foxtail control? Absolutely. Now, here's the other problem that I see. You're spraying 20 days before you plant. Now, that's fine if you're planting right well, when the frost comes if out. If you're in a dry you area and you're worried about rain, we often talk about putting it out early. So I think that's part of this, too, if we're in, in a dry area. So if you think, hey, I'm going to have plenty of moisture, I'm going to get at least an inch of rain after I put this on before the weeds start to come, 
then I think you're fine putting it on later. And to me, I'd consider refreshing those strips first and then spraying it over the top. That way you aren't worried about germination issues or weed control. Yeah. Now, okay, I get... I got multiple things there. I'm not going to agree, totally agree with Darren on, or at least he may, just the way that he said it, I don't like how it was said necessarily. So you're not going to hurt your germination at all with, you said dual two Magnum, did you not? Or did you say dual Magnum? No, dual two. Yeah. Dual two Magnum. There's a safener in there. So you have no worries as far as the seed germination thing. So that part I'm not concerned about. So that doesn't matter. The other thing is, is in terms of this spraying early, where I was going with this is if you want to plant right as the frost is coming out of the ground, then fine, go ahead and spray 20 days before you plant. But if you're spraying well after, or let me rephrase that, if you're planting well after the frost comes out of the ground and you have sprayed 20 days before you planted, I don't like that at all. There's no possible chance I'm doing that, and here's why. Because that 20 days just ate up part of your herbicide. And you got nothing for it. So that's why we would just tell you, look, I'm fine if you want to plant right as the frost is coming out of the ground. That's what we do on our farm. And we'll go spray in March and then we'll plant in April. No problem because there's nothing growing during that whole time. And then we have more chance to get rain or snow on that, that duel. And it works great. But your issue is, like Darren said, hey, if you're refreshing these strips, we don't typically do that with our strip till. But I have no problem with you doing that. But if you want to refresh the strips and you're going to till something three or four inches deep, um, I just worry that you may possibly bury bury your dual. It's probably not a real huge issue, but I would worry about that a little bit. So you could try it either way. But yeah, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna till very deep in that strip, then I'm probably just gonna wait and I'm gonna spray after I've done that tillage, either before or after planting. All right. Thanks for the questions, George. All right. This comes from Tom. He said a couple questions for you regarding sunflowers. First, what are the top three states for sunflower production? Well, in 2021, South Dakota was number one, North Dakota was number two, and those two were so far ahead of everyone else. Minnesota was a distant third. And then fourth place was actually only half the size of Minnesota. So there's a heavy weight towards the Dakotas here with sunflower production. And then the next question, why are those states the top three? Is it solely due to local markets or is it due to amount of rainfall or other climate conditions? Well, usually crops are grown in certain areas because that's where farmers can do well with those crops economically. So, for example, I can't raise, we can't raise wheat on our farm because we can't make as much money as we can with corn or soybeans. Our land prices and our cash rents are so high and just the way our weather is it prohibits us from raising wheat here now sure we can raise wheat but i like to make money when i'm farming it's fun farming but i kind of like to make some money in the end so you know i don't know exactly all the reasons but i would just say that that farmers in those areas turn out good economically raising sunflowers well stay tuned we'll get to your calls right after this this is a wake-up call. 
for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. already have dipped into the Ag PhD mailbag a little bit. We'll get back to some more of those questions in a minute. But first, we'll start off on the phone lines here with Josh down in Iowa. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's uh, pretty chilly out here today, but, uh, you know, we're, we're back into the positives positive temperatures so i guess i can't complain too much no and you know i I look at this next week is february and we're getting that much (laughs) closer and i know in iowa once we get to april hey all bets are off we're we're probably going to be out rolling in the field so are you all set for spring or you still got some things to do getting planter to go and and everything else uh we still got quite a bit of work to do um we uh have mostly at least on my end, we're, we're uh, working on hog barns right now, uh, kind of getting the, the turn ready, getting things ready for the next batch of pigs. Um, this uh, We're hauling corn a little bit, getting some stuff uh, to town to fill January contracts uh, and, you know, reward the market while things are high. But uh, we have a heated shop, so we'll probably start rolling uh, uh, tractors and then planters and everything else through here uh, in February, March. All right, so you mentioned uh, a bunch of jobs there, and, man, they all take time. They're all hard work. Uh, how much help have you got there, Josh? You got plenty of people helping on the farm, or are you looking for more help? I'd love to send Brian um, down if I could. I think Brian could do a good job cleaning out the hog barns. That'd be a great spot for him. Yeah, how's he at uh, electrical work? Cause that's my uh, big gremlin today is getting heaters working while it's 20 below outside. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, we used to have um, – 
uh, outdoor uh, hutches where we had hogs running out of them. So we had outdoor waterers, and that was always when it was 20 below. That was our fun job is trying to keep those things running. Yeah, yeah, I remember that as a kid with our cattle too. Um, but uh, no, we've I farm with my dad and my two uncles, and we've got a couple of full-time hired men that um, that help us out as well. But um, for the most part, I'm about the youngest guy on the farm by a couple decades. So a lot of the the lesser fun jobs like electrical work <laughs> and hog barn falls to me. Oh yeah. So, we know exactly what you're talking about there. You bet. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. But now, what a what a great opportunity for you, and uh, and a great future you got ahead. But you know, you're right. Uh, we we have the same thing. We've we've got uh, well, our our lead guy on our farm is is older than Brian and me, and he's not going to want to keep farming forever. So always looking for yeah. for young people coming in. Yeah, it's 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 a hard. I mean, I'm considered a young farmer in our area at 40, which is kind of funny to think about, but. Um, you know, there, there's not too many of us, and we're, for the most part, you know, we're, we're we're pretty good about getting together and trying to exchange ideas and and find new ways of doing things that maybe our our dads and the older generation are either not interested in doing, or maybe it's it's just too much of a change to from what they grew up with to to want to try and tackle it. Well, you think about how things have changed. I, I just look, we're, we're fourth generation on this farm, and when you start with horses and pretty soon we'll be using autonomous tractors, well, I know we had autonomous vehicles on our farm last year at our Ag PhD field day, and, man, to think how fast that has turned. It, uh, I don't know. Who knows what's going to be next? Yeah, drones and everything else. My, uh, my grandpa uh, passed away last year, but before he quit, helping us i mean he was in his late 80s and he was driving a 500 horse case tractor and wouldn't step foot in it if he knew the auto steer wasn't working but uh <laughs> you know i'm standing on the home farm now that he he bought from somebody and he was plowing with a 560 and a two bottom plow so uh come a long way yeah you know? yeah that's for things sure things are a lot different well, we got a lot of stuff to get done here before spring, the way it sounds. So uh, appreciate talking to you here today, Josh. Good luck here as you head into the spring. Sure, you too. Thank y'all. Let's head up to North Dakota. Got Ryan on with us right now. And Ryan, we had a question come in earlier about sunflowers and why the Dakotas raise so many flowers. You raising flowers in your area, or are you more of a corn soybean guy? No, I'm right up on the Canadian border. So yeah, we actually got back into sunflowers two years ago. So just. Just two years under our belt. I mean, when I was young, we raised a whole lot more of them, but with canola and soybeans as options, we kind of went away from them because of disease pressure. Yes, yes. Was it white mold or was it other things that were getting you? Yeah, white mold and I guess also blackbirds, but white mold seemed to be the lion's share of it. So now, you know, we're not doing many as a percent of the farm, but just... Had some nice crops with them, and they seem to handle the salts a little bit better. So, kind of picking the areas where they fill a need. Yeah, that that is that is interesting. Brian was talking about that a little bit, not necessarily the salt piece, but just how hey, in some areas, some things will grow better than others, and then of course, there's different marketing opportunities as well. What a what a year when we've got good prices on just about every crop. Is there a crop that's standing out to you for your operation? That you say, man, I got to do more canola, or I got to do more uh, of something else. Well, you know, I was last week I at the conference it was the national biodiesel board we changed the name of the clean fuel 
Alliance of America and just, I would say, oil seeds in general. The, the growth rate that biodiesel and renewable diesel is on and the, the demands they're going to have for oil, I, I'm pretty bullish. So that would be, you know, your canola and your soybeans for sure. Yeah, that yeah, it is such an opportunity, and you guys can raise some fantastic yields. I know when we talk to growers that say, well, what can they still raise for soybean yields in northern North Dakota? Well, if you give them just a little bit of rain, I always say they, they can raise a great crop. What what would you target? If you had a perfect weather year, what can you get for soybeans up there for yield? You know, we can go over 40. You hear the anecdotal thing of guys maybe getting 50s. But if you if you had a farm average of over 40, I think you'd be very pleased. You know, I look at it. The soybeans are going to run 40. The canola is probably going to run. We still do it in pounds, so 2,500 pounds. You know, depending upon the timing of the rain, that's why we we choose to do both of them. I joke that if, if we're going to have a lousy wheat harvest, that means we're going to have a good soybean crop because... We don't want rain in August for the wheat, but we sure do like it for the beans. Yeah, it's a good diversification tool, no doubt about that. Well, and you think about the rotation opportunities that you've got trying to get around some of these tough weeds. Is kochia the worst one in your area, or what's the toughest weed to kill? Yeah, right now it would definitely be kochia. You know, it's it just handles the drought so well, and with having a real dry year last year, and actually the year before it was on the drier side, it's we struggled. We struggled with kochia. You know, we do a majority of our canola acres are Liberty Link, so that helps. We get that different mode of action in there. You know, roundups have just, they've gotten to the point where they really struggle on the kochia side of things. Yeah, it can be it can be a real challenge. I look at just some of the different herbicides that are increased in price this year or tight supply and Liberty's kind of been a key one once we've had a lot of Roundup Ready kosher or Roundup Resistant kosher, I should say. Uh, it seems like Roundup Ready because it looks like a crop if all you're spraying out there is Roundup in some of these fields. But uh, are you having any trouble getting anything or, do, or is your herbicide program looking pretty good for this year? You know, I think we're pretty good. We took, just like a lot of guys out there, we took possession on a, a good supply of it, and then we've been been assured, so hopefully they come through. Um, on the canola side, that if we booked Liberty Canola, that they're going to tie in that product with it. So we haven't taken delivery of it, but we have faith in our, re- you know, our retail guy that he'll he'll cover our needs. Yeah, those relationships are going to be important this year, and I, I agree with your strategy. I think taking possession of stuff really helps. <laughs> then you know you've got it for sure. How about parts? This is another thing. I know over the years guys have said uh, being right along that border has been kind of nice because sometimes you have to jump north to get some things, and sometimes those guys come south to get things. That border's been a little tougher this year, of course, but uh, what what are you seeing for parts supply up in your area? You know, we're, I talked to my John Deere dealer a few weeks ago, and he said he was more worried about parts supply going into this coming year than he was last year, which is a little concerning, you know. So you displays and consumables, if you will, you start stockpiling them ahead of time, which kind of, you know, makes it come to fruition if we all do the same thing. But certainly it's just good management to have these things on hand you don't want an air drill sitting down because you you have an opener and you can't get a blade for i know it no kidding yeah planning ahead is definitely going to be a big deal well ryan thank you so much really appreciate having you on today good luck here as you head towards spring stay tuned we'll be right back
Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hype Darren Hefty will give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will, because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. For listening to Ag PhD Radio today, it's Farmer Friday, which means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Start off in northwest Indiana here. we got John on the line with us. John, how are you doing today? Hey, we're doing good. We're sitting down here in uh, sunny Florida. Oh, perfect. Uh, nice and warm. <laughs> yeah, much better than Indiana right now. Yeah, that's corn beans in Miami. You know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so let me ask you this. Are you all set for spring? Have you got somebody else up there getting the planter ready, or is that your job when you get home? No, my son's up there, and uh, we had the planter ready the 
first week of January. Oh, awesome. So both planters. We had the corn and bean planter both ready. So they were just getting everything polished up now and uh, just trying to figure out what we're doing for our, all these inputs, uh, which is going crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. The input pricing and supply has been fun. Okay, tell me about the planter situation here. So you got one planter for corn, one planter for beans. Do they both run starting at day one, or do you have one crop you like to start with versus the other? We normally start around the 19th to the 21st of uh, April, putting um, beans in the ground and corn in the ground. Uh, Whatever fields are ready, we we start and uh, just keep on moving. I plant the beans, he plants the corn. Excellent, excellent. Uh, so as as you're planting early with the soybeans, have you seen a big yield jump? I assume you've seen better better performance, or are you just trying to keep them shorter? What's your what's your goal with the early planting on beans? Trying to do a better yield, and it seems like when we get them in the ground earlier and uh, we put all the inoculates and stuff on them, they uh, they seem to perform pretty good for us on an early bean, and then then we're able to start harvesting them towards the end of uh, September and get a jump on that and get beans off before the corn. Uh, that way it has corn can dry down a little bit more. Yeah, I love it. I love that strategy and I agree with what you're doing. I, I would be doing the same thing. So talk to me about soil conditions. So you mentioned as soon as the soils are ready, you can get rolling. Are you guys in a good spot for moisture right now? Are you a little dry, a little too wet? What's it looking like? Well, we're getting snow up there like crazy and so we were we were on the drier side but we had a, a wonderful yield and uh things things are, are looking good with all the snow we're getting that's that's going to give us some good subsoil moisture yeah i i'm hoping so. for a little bit of moisture by spring i i want mine all to be in the liquid form though because i don't want to have to scoop it and if i got somebody like you john that's going down to florida i know who gets stuck scooping it it's going to be your son so i'm betting he'd much rather have a little bit of rain in the spring than all this snow oh he has the plow on the truck you don't, you don't have to worry about that <laughs> and i know i know you paid your dues you've scooped plenty of snow you don't need to do it anymore Right, right. <laughs> so, so yeah. Well, what a what a I'll fun year in the Northland. Well, you know, it's been it's been uh, a pretty decent winter for us. We we've actually we've had a couple shots of snow, but then we've we've warmed up and we've gotten rid of it. So, uh, we're we're excited. I mean, we're just looking at the calendar, saying, "Man, we're only uh, just a couple of months away here, and we're going to want to be out in the field scratching around." So that's kind of exciting. Not 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 far. Not yeah. far. Yeah, well, John, you enjoy your time down in Florida. I really appreciate talking with you today, and and good luck here as you get all those inputs planned out for this year. Okay, well, you guys take care, too. Good talking to you. Thanks. Let's head to another hopefully warmer place. we got Trent down in Oklahoma. Trent, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Well, good. Okay, now I know you're generally warmer than us, but would you say today's a warm day or is it a little cool down there? Uh, Today's... 45 degrees it's kind of a normal temperature for us but we've been geez we've been in the 60s i mean it's been like october here for the whole winter it's crazy we haven't had a drop of rain in two months and it's dry it's warm it's it's just been a wild winter 
Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, I'll, I'll take that. We keep hoping this global warming thing actually hits South Dakota, so so we're a nice place in the winter, <laughs> so everybody doesn't go south like John's doing. Right. So uh, looking at this spring and, and inputs and, and planning and all those things, what stage are things at on your farm? Are you guys working on equipment? Or are you working on inputs? Are you got it all lined uh, up? Right now we're uh, doing a bunch of dirt work, uh, trying to correct drainage problems on terraces. And then when we're not doing that, we're working on equipment, trying to get combines rebuilt and stuff like that. And we're kind of holding off on putting any fertilizer on the wheat because there's just no moisture there and we hate to be wasting $500 fertilizer. So um, we're kind of held off on any of that stuff. I mean, it's nice weather warm wise, but we don't have any moisture. You're really afraid to put it out there when it's this expensive. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. You can't afford to lose any of it. So what, what condition did the wheat come up in? Was it, was it pretty good early? It came up great. Yeah. I mean, we had, we had good conditions with it coming up, but man, it just, the water spigot turned off and we've had nothing since, but luckily the wheat's, I mean, it, it got some fairly decent size on it enough, but it's still relatively short. So it's holding, it's holding pretty good in this dry weather. I feel like. Well, I don't mind wheat getting a little bit short. I'm I'm okay with that. It doesn't have to get too tall yeah, and lodgy for me. But but yeah, yeah, to to think how are we going to get fertilizer in this crop without rain? Uh, that's yeah. that's not good. Right. So, what are you thinking this year on on corn soybeans? How'd you guys turn out? Well, good uh, yields. We had we had uh, really good wheat yield wheat yields. And we had a lot of rain early summer, and the beans just took off. And we thought, man, we're going to have the best crop we've ever had. And then the rain shut off, and the heat came in, and we were cutting 60, 70 bushel bean stubble, making 20 yeah. bushel beans. So it was just kind of a rough year. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's no fun. I, I know it, it's always good to get off to a good start, but, but man, those late-season rains just are... Night and day difference, yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah, you get it, you get it started early, and you end up with four or five foot tall soybeans, and then when it turns off dry, you're trying to keep a huge plant alive, and it's not putting it towards the pod, so you kind of get hurt there. Yeah, no doubt about that. Well, Trent, uh, good talking to you. Glad you guys are getting that warm weather. Hopefully, uh, get all that dirt work done and all set before you know. It. When when is the first plant date in your area? Uh, we can start planting corn March 15th. Wow. So it's it's just right around the corner. <laughs> yeah, it's about six weeks away. Awesome. Well, hey, good yeah. luck Good luck to you, Trent, heading in towards uh, planting season. Look forward to talking to you again. Okay, thanks, Darren. All right, Brian, we had a question come in uh, from Frank up in Alberta I wanted to get to. He said, we, we had a drought last year, and we've been trying to make our fertilizer decisions now for spring. We had... Uh, or we applied extra urea last year as the price was still good, and we put all the urea out in, and we got it in the soil so we wouldn't lose it. However, our tests are showing we've got high levels of hydrogen. Now, in these fields, nitrate is low. It's anywhere from 4 to 11 part per million. Not sure how it's going to play out, of course, this spring. 
But just wondering, if we put more urea out there, is that just going to make the soil even more acidic and increase this hydrogen percentage? And then also wondering, if we actually do get some moisture this year, will that alone help decrease the hydrogen percentage? Or are we definitely going to have to spend more money on lime, uh, and that would be a better investment than putting in more urea? Okay, so first of all, anytime you are soil testing in a drought, the soil pH is going to read a little bit lower. Most of the time we see 0.3 to 0.5 lower. So in other words, if on your soil test it's saying 6, in reality, you might have a 6.3 to a 6.5 pH. Now, if it's saying 4, and you would have a 4.3 or a 4.5 pH, you need lime, period. So it all depends on how close you are to the good range for pH, which we often will talk about 6.3 to 6.8, that, you know, how close you are to that is to as to whether I would lime or not. In terms of adding a little bit of urea, because I'm assuming... You're not going to be putting lots out there. But if you're just adding a little bit of urea, is it going to drive that that hydrogen to be much worse? No. No, I'm not worried about that at all. I'm just worried about what's my true pH as opposed to what's what does it look like in a drought. So anyway, no, you're definitely going to be, need to be liming. If you're quite a ways below that, let's call it 6 pH that I'd like to at least get to at a minimum. Thanks for the questions, Frank. Really appreciate it. We'll be back with more Ag PhD Radio after this. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself. Whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH. Built by farmers. Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide-resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough5EC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection, can help. Tough5EC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelchumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. 
Always read and follow label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Listen to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. It's uh, Farmer Friday again, so 844-44-AG-PHD is how you can call and join in the conversation if you have a question you want to talk about what's happening on your farm. And, of course, you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to the Finger Lakes region of New York. we got Rick on with us right now. Rick, how are you doing? Good. Good afternoon. So what kind of winter are you getting there? Is the lake effect snow kind of kicking in, or has it been pretty mild? I would say so far it's normal um we've had some weather events but those have mostly been off of uh, lake erie and lake ontario uh where we are located in the finger lakes is not um what you'd call a snow belt we get the generalized snow but not very often the, the heavy uh lake effect so we've got about 12 inches of snow on the ground right now um we've been colder than we have for the last few years uh but still within averages historically so it's um you know getting down to zero a little bit below that's that's pretty cold for us but uh you know it's not like we haven't been here before nope nope that's for sure yeah if you're in the north you know you know what to do about all that stuff so how are you coming on your prep for for spring you got equipment that you're working on or getting inputs lined up yeah, we've been through all of the uh, tillage equipment, and now we're uh, starting to service tractors. Uh, I would say we're probably ahead of the game um, so far this year. Had good crew in the shop, and um, they're working along uh, nice and efficiently like you'd like to see. Um, as far as inputs go, I see them about halfway done. Uh, I got all my green crops covered, but uh, still got some vegetable seeds to purchase. Um uh, Fertilizers, I actually bought most of what I needed um, back in December before the price increases because of all the hype uh, there was on several radio stations and Internet um, along with your station. So thanks for that heads up. I saved quite a bit of money, it looks like, at the moment anyways. I, I don't foresee prices backing off until probably next year. Yeah, what a what a crazy market we've been in, no doubt about that. Hey, you mentioned the vegetable seed. Are you planting any different crops this year, or have you been doing the same thing for a while? Uh, we always adjust a little bit every year, depending on what the markets want, what the processors want, uh, you know, who's bidding things up. Um, I guess one new thing would be uh, we're going to do some fresh market edamame um, this year. We did a dab last year, but we're going to increase that somewhat. Um, we're also going to do some trials on, uh, some other things, possibly some beets or lettuces, uh, just a few different things that we haven't tried before. Um, small acreage, you know, a couple acres just to, uh, start to figure out how to, you know, grow things and determine whether or not 
it's even uh, logical or economical to do so in the Northeast. That's awesome. Yeah, it's always fun trying different things just to, to see what you got. And, hey, you know what? Worst case scenario, you get some fresh food to eat, so that's not too bad. Yeah, absolutely. We really look forward to our uh, fresh pick asparagus and uh, sweet corn especially. All right, all right. You're making me hungry now, Rick. Uh, how about how about some of the other things that you do? Do you guys have livestock too, or are you busy enough with the crops? Uh, we used to have a uh, feral-only swine operation, but the contractor decided to exit the industry, so that left us stranded, and we had to close the doors. So um, I guess I don't blame them. Um, we've been at it for over 30-some years. Uh, barns needed to have some upgrading done. Uh, you've got that African uh, swine fever hammer hanging over your head. Uh, this should scare any pork producer in the in the nation. So, as the uh, contractors' uh, management started to transition to the next generation, they just decided that it was riskier than they wanted to continue with. Yeah, there's always change so, in the industry, and and like I say, I'm glad you guys have. Uh, uh, just kept moving on and, and found some opportunities here, some of these vegetables to add a little extra value for the farm. Uh, also really happy to hear that you're way down the road with this equipment. It sounds like the parts are a little tight in some some areas, so kind of kind of good to get a jump on that. Yeah, I would say that um, steel in general uh, is up and availability is you know not as ready as it used to be, so we're probably going to pre-buy uh, and inventory a little bit more than we normally would, just so we don't have any downtime. Right, right. You know, I've built some uh, redundancy into my horsepower over the years. I know a lot of people would say that was the wrong thing to do, but um, now that looks okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> used yep. equipment prices are uh, healthy, and um, if I break down, I've got enough backup that uh, any one tractor could be down for you know two weeks or a month it seems it takes a month any longer to get something fixed uh, time you take it to the dealer and you know they wash it tear it down find the parts parts come parts are wrong <laughs> you know how it goes yep yep uh, you're right it's uh, it's a good time to uh, to plan ahead and to have plan b already lined up no doubt about that well hey rick uh, great talking to you really appreciate all the info today good luck to you and your crew as you get heading towards spring all right thanks Brian, we had a couple of questions. Speak about uh, Rick was talking about steel there. We had a couple of comments. Every time you talk about moldboard plows, we get we get some uh, information back. So uh, True Blue says about ten years ago we rolled over ten acres just for a trial against ripping. However, we found a ten bushel jump. Uh, also, one of the negatives that you had mentioned was that you'd mineralize your organic matter faster. I'm just wondering, is this equate to uh, many of the newer corn heads and vertical tillage tools trying to accomplish that same thing, or is no. that a different deal? That's a whole different deal. That's above-ground residue, and that's what we would call organic material. Below-ground, when it's fully decomposed, that's organic matter. And, yeah, they're two com- they are two different things. So the above-ground stuff, we're trying to chop that residue up as quickly as we can so then we're not hairpinning residue when we plant. And so hopefully we can get that soil to warm up a little bit quicker in the spring, get that residue breaking down faster, release those nutrients. That's all good. 
down below ground, when you plow, you inject a lot more air down in there. And then there's more microbial activity, which sounds all good. But the problem is it dramatically speeds that breakdown of the organic matter and it mineralizes nutrients. So then over time, your organic matter levels will actually go down almost certainly. Now, it's possible to still maintain or build organic matter when plowing, but boy, you'd have to have a tremendous amount of organic material pumping back in there that could then get that could then eventually replace that organic matter. So it's very unlikely that you're going to moldboard plow every year and maintain or build soil organic matter, much more likely that you're going to get a lot of nutrients out and deplete your organic matter levels over time. All right, Dan sent in a comment too. He said, if you don't have a moldboard plow and you want to do some plowing, all you need to do is just host a plow day. You'll have a hundred antique tractors working away out on your farm for nothing. It's actually a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate the comment. Uh, Okay. This one came in from Brian who said, my soil test has several different measurements of phosphorus. They have the P1, the Olson, and the Malik results. My pH is around 6.5, cation exchange capacity 10 to 20. I'm wondering which of these phosphorus tests should I use to calculate my phosphorus to zinc and phosphorus to copper ratios. Well, wait, did he give us choices? Yes, he has all three. P1, Bray, Olson, and Malik. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just said P1 and Bray. Those are the same thing. Yeah, P1, Bray, Olson, and and Malik. Oh, and Malik. Okay, I got you now. Okay. He has all three of them on his test. Okay, well, how was the zinc converted? Or, I mean, what test was the zinc done with? Uh, I don't know that answer. So let's okay. just assume the zinc was done with Malik. If the okay. zinc was done with Malik. Yeah, well, then you go Malik to Malik. So that, that, and at a 6.5 pH, you can do just about anything. I'm not that worried about it. If you got real low pHs, P1's probably going to be more accurate. It will be more accurate than Olsen. The Olsen's going to be more accurate than the P1 at real high pHs, like well over 7. Uh, but the Malik, I don't really have a big problem with. I think it's fairly accurate. But the Malik is more like the P2 or strong bray. So anyway, I'd convert, I'd, I'd figure the Malik P to a Malik zinc, and I'd try to be around that 8 to 1 or 10 to 1 kind of ratio. Stay tuned. to will be right back. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? 
That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or, you can, or your emails, radio at agphd.com. Got an email here from Jack in South Dakota. He said, I'm sending you a manure sample and also a soil test for where this manure is going to go. Wondering what you would think about a 15,000 gallon per acre rate of this manure. We've been getting these questions a lot, and where we haven't gotten these questions, we should be getting these questions because in a lot of cases, there's just flat out too much manure being applied per acre, and here's the big problem. Like on this test that I got, I don't have salt content. The most important thing on a manure test, and I don't have it. So please, if you're going to have manure spread onto your ground, or quite frankly, anything spread onto your ground. you got to know really what's in there. And with manure, the most important thing to know is not the N, P, or K. And I realize you're going to say, oh, i got to know the N, P, and K. Well, I want to know that too. But the most important thing to know in the manure test is salt. So I don't know. I can't answer this question, but I can answer it this way. We have a large dairy that's right next to us. And we have been putting dairy manure on our ground for... I don't know, 25 years, injecting it with a hose. So we've had we've got tests going back about 25 years. And on average, here's what the figures will usually tell me. We'll have, let's call it 60 to 65 pounds of salt per thousand gallons. Okay. With Midwest Labs, when you get a manure test from them, it'll say right at the bottom, don't exceed 500 pounds of salt per acre. And that's only if you've got, I'm going to say it's more than 25 inches of rain, 
which we only get probably one out every three years. So in other words, we should really be below 500 pounds of salt on a per acre basis to be safe. Okay. Now you can make it safer yet if you want to bury it deeper, get it down deeper in the ground. And we're probably going to be doing that as we push manure rates moving forward. But anyway, we've done a lot of studies and a lot of work on this over the years and salt kills. Salt hurts your crop. And so I don't think it's any coincidence that many of the super high yield farmers in the country, at one point or another, their ground was a dumping site for manure. Well, for many years then, there was, there, there was low yield, and they probably bought the ground cheap, and then they stopped putting manure on, and all of a sudden, huh, yield started going way up because there are crazy amounts of fertility there without the salt. So anyway, to finish up, this, this dairy right next to us, and granted now it's changed hands, it's way bigger and everything else, but still, over the years, if I'm getting 60 to 65 pounds for every 1,000 gallons and I only want to get to 500, like this year, I remember the exact number because it was a funny number to me or a number I could remember. It was 7,700 gallons. So 7,700 gallons, that's it, and that was the 500 pounds of salt. Now, I don't know what the salt content is with this, but it's a dairy, and it's only probably, I don't know, 50, no, probably 80 miles away from me as a crow flies. So is it possible that the, the salt content's the same as the dairy next to me? Yeah, it's possible, but I don't know what it is. So without a test, all I'm doing is guessing. And I'll just say this, the soil right now is not bad. It, it's not like, oh, we got ridiculous amounts of salts and sodium and everything else. So in other words, the soil hasn't been killed yet. But I'm going to guess 15,000 gallons is way too much. And if you start doing that every year, it's not going to take long. And yields are going to start going down. You're going to start killing your soil. Microbial life goes down. Soil health gets worse. And this has happened so many times over the years. Farmers go, boy, I don't, I don't know. We've been putting manure on and our yields are going down. We shouldn't have that, should we? I go, well, how much manure have you been putting on? Then I start looking at the soil tests and I see sodium and salt levels off the charts. And it's like, stop putting manure on. Like for how long? For like a year? And I go, no, for like a decade. So you got, you way overdid it on salt and sodium. You can't do that. So you got to be careful with this stuff. Now, it all depends on what your goal here is. If all you're doing is trying to help the dairy and you don't mind killing your soil, well, then by all means, put 15,000 gallons on with no test. But would I ever do that? No possible chance. I don't think I can say it much stronger than that. Go ahead, Darren. All right. What's next? All right. This one comes in from Trent, <laughs> and he said, uh, over the last 10 years, we've built up our soils here in southwest Saskatchewan. We've gotten to many of the targets that you're discussing, 4 to 6% base saturation K now. Uh, got the magnesiums down in a lot of cases into the 12% range. Some are still in the low 20s. Uh, and get the calcium in line too, and so forth with phosphorus and the other nutrients. Uh, we've also been doing one foot deep application. I'm sorry, six to nine foot six, six to nine inches deep applications every one foot spacing with a three quarter inch shank to try to get some fertility down deeper in our soil. Uh, and wait, whoa, whoa, stop! Not every one foot. Yep. Every one foot. Yep. They're putting fertility on. Yep. One six foot. Space. They've done it one time so oh, far. Oh, okay. So they're they're just interested. They've seen so much stratification in the top few sure. inches. They thought, hey, we got to get something deep, but they're worried okay. about erosion and those kinds of things. Okay. So the question is, where do crops take their nutrition from? Their thought is, 
60 to 90 percent of it comes out of the top three inches where all that fertility is at. And they were just wondering where they should be putting this deep band, how much they think you think we draw out of the deep band, uh, and uh, get a couple of the questions. So just start with that. We've done some deep fertility too. Do we feel like that deep fertility is staying there or is it getting used up over time? Well, it's getting used up, of course. So one of the most telling things, and we've done stratification studies, is we find that the soil pH is the lowest in, I'm going to say it's the 4-inch, four, 4 or 5-inch, down to about 9 or 10-inch zone. And I don't care if it was no-till, strip-till, conventional till. So I want you to think about that logically for a second. Why would the pH be lower? And in, in some cases, like way lower, like a full point lower. Why would that be? Because roots are excreting organic acids. And what that's telling you, at least in our soil, so I can't say for sure in your soils because I don't know what you have for compaction or anything else, but in our soils around here, whether it was our farm or somebody else, we found that the majority of the root activity was in that four to nine inch range. So what that means to me as a farmer and agronomist is I say, okay, if I want to get the best uptake, that of nutrients, then I should probably put it where the most roots are and where they are the most active, which is in the four to nine inch range. So when he's talking about six to nine inches that they're putting some fertility down, to me, that sounds fantastic. Now, that does not mean that we want zero fertility in the top three inches. But Darren, you just made the comment, or I believe I what I heard is stratification, and they're worried about stratification. Well, if you already have your top three inches loaded up, then why worry about continuing to feed the top three inches with crazy amounts of fertilizer when it's already loaded up? So yeah, I would start to move it just a little bit deeper. All right. The other thing is he said, do the parts per million rules still apply like they do in the top six inches down when we're looking at the 12 or six to 12 inch range? As far as what? Uh, would we still use parts per million times two for that range? What came in? Yeah, if, if it was a six inch? to twelve, that's still a six-inch soil test. So yes, you take parts per million times two. Okay. Uh, oh, and, and then to kind of go along with all that, it the question often is, should I build my six to twelve-inch range well, the same as the zero? His six? last his last question is, should I slow down my investment in the top six and focus more on the six to twelve going forward? If I've got my top six where I feel like I want it then yes, I, I would start sticking some dollars down a little bit deeper. So at our soils clinics, we showed some, some soil test information we had from Francis Childs and a bunch from Herman Warsaw. These were guys that were raising, okay, so Warsaw was the first guy raising over 300 bushel corn consistently in the United States over 50 years ago. Think about that. 50 years ago, we didn't have the genetics, hybrids, all that stuff back then that we do today. He was raising over 300 bushel corn 50 years ago. But anyway, the point is, for him and then Childs was the first guy raising 400 bushel corn in the U.S., they didn't just have their top six inches built up. They had the next six inches built up, too, and even lower than that. But, yes, I'd start focusing at least a little bit deeper because here's the other thing. In Saskatchewan, it gets dry. So when what dries out first, the top three inches or that range from six to 12 inches? Well, it's obviously the top three. So you start adding some more fertility a little bit deeper, you're going to be ahead, especially in drought years. 
All right, thanks for the questions. Had a couple shout-outs here. This one came in from John, and he just wanted us to mention his son-in-law, Troy, had 316 bushel per acre corn. Hey, way to go, Troy. That's awesome. Yeah, it's good to hear people had some good yields, even uh, in a challenging year. And then we got one from I.D., who is a student at the University of Rwanda doing ag engineering. Just wanted to say thanks for what we're doing on our show. Hey, thanks, I.D. Really appreciate that. Good luck getting your degree. And, uh, man, we need more agricultural engineers out there. So look forward to having you in the workforce soon. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.